So yeah, as we dive into tonight, um, if you have a Bible with you, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 13? And uh, yeah, I'll be preaching from the passage uh, found in verses 22 to 30. So I'll begin just by reading that for us. So it says, Jesus went through one town and village after another, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only few be saved? He said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. When once the owner of a house has gotten up and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then in reply, he will say to you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank with you and, taught, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I do not know where you come from. Go away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrown out. Then people will come from east and west, from north and south, and will eat in the kingdom of God. Indeed, some are the last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is the word of the Lord. So before we get too far into our passage uh, this evening, I want uh, you to spend just a moment reflecting on doors. Um, what is the your perception of the purpose of a door? Is it something to keep people out, or is it something to let people in? Does a door provide an opening into a set-aside place, or does it close the space off from the rest of the world? What does a door communicate about what is found on either side of it? We use doors quite often, and they're very familiar to us, and so I don't want this powerful image that Jesus is about to invite us into tonight to get lost in just our mundane use of it. Um, so just keep mulling over that and the significance of what a door actually is as we enter into this passage this evening. And so our text tonight invites us to come and convene with Jesus as he's en route to Jerusalem. Now, the fact that this conversation takes place on the way to Jerusalem is actually really significant in and of itself. As much as we, or sorry, as much as Luke weaves together all these different literary genres um, to kind of, yeah, communicate his gospel message, the structure of his writing is actually centered around three main locations, Galilee, the road to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem itself. And each of these locations actually gives us a particular interpretive lens in which we're supposed to kind of read the events that take place within it. Um, and this is most prominently true of the journey to Jerusalem. And so Luke actually mentions, or we could say reminds his readers three times that Jesus is journeying to Jerusalem. So he clearly doesn't want us to forget that. <laughs> and um, our text tonight actually includes the second of these reminders, which places it smack in the middle of this both physical and metaphorical journey towards this really significant city. So when we hear of Jesus journeying towards Jerusalem, most of us probably begin to play out the rest of the story. We know Jerusalem as this place where Jesus died, where he rose, uh, where he changed the future of humanity. 
Uh, your mind might even jump ahead to the place where the church receives the Holy Spirit and begins moving out from there in this fresh and new, empowered way. Um, but it's important for us to remember that before any of this happened, that for many of Jesus' followers, particularly his Jewish followers, Jerusalem was already a really significant place. It was the holy city. the holy city. It was where the temple was. It was the main location where God was said to interact with his people. Um, it's what we might call today a thin place, this space where the holy and the human commune together in a really special way. And so our text is intended to be understood in light of this. The question and teaching that follows is intended to be understood within the context of this movement from one place to another, from Galilee to Jerusalem, from a place of first hearing and encountering Jesus um, to being with him in the holy city. It's the movement from a place of distance to a place of deep communion. And that's the space that Jesus, uh, yeah, speaks to this question that is posed to him. And so within this narrative arch of Luke, um, the journey towards uh, Jerusalem is predominantly this matter of discipleship. And so we have to keep that in mind as we seek to understand why Jesus gives this particular response. So yeah, we read that along this journey, someone asked Jesus, Lord, will only a few be saved? And if we'd been following Luke's narrative up to this point, we're familiar with the themes and the tones, we might have picked up on the fact that Luke's audience is very concerned um, about whether they're in line with God's will. They want to know if they're in or if they're out. Um, They um, have kind of caught this vision for this incredible new kingdom of God and they, they want to make sure that, they're actually, that they can actually be part of it. And the passage directly before this uh, actually is, is the one that speaks about the kingdom of God being like the mustard seed. So it gives this incredible image of this tiny seed that grows into a big, beautiful plant that then is able to sustain life. It also compares uh, the kingdom of God to yeast that is uh, added to dough and makes it expand and, again, kind of moves it towards the sustaining of life. And so we're catching this vision for um, Jesus's new kingdom, and now his audience is wanting to make sure that they're in. So the question of, will only a few be saved, suggests that the followers are looking for a number, or perhaps a formula, uh, a list of requirements for securing their spot in this new kingdom. And though this request um, for kind of some boundaries or or some fencing may come out of a genuine desire to be faithful, I get a bit of a sense that uh, the one asking it is a little bit more concerned about their own sense of security. Um, You know, they want to know the limit to play within it. And um, yeah, that that's more what is motivating this question. And if I'm honest, I'm a little prone to questions like this. kind of becoming blind in the process of trying to establish my own sense of security, my own sense of being in the right. Um, And I just love how Jesus responds to this in the most classic Jesus way. Um, And he humbly reorients the question (laughs) and essentially says, you're asking the wrong question. And instead, he turns our attention to what should be the real matter of concern. 
So he says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. So right off the bat, Jesus corrects this question posed to him by addressing a posture of um, addressing the posture of one who's seeking to enter. And here he uses this language of strive, this idea of attempt, put some effort in, seek after a narrow entry into the kingdom of God. Here we begin to see that Jesus is concerned about our own intent, not merely that we find our way into this place. Now, given the vastness of Jesus's invitation for all to come into the kingdom of God, we might find ourselves a little bit confused and wondering why would he have such a narrow door? Um, If so many are invited, would a large door not make more sense? Um, Would it not be more practical? And so to this, I want to return to our question um, that I asked you at the beginning of what is the purpose of a door? So depending on your personality, your life experiences, your philosophies and theologies, a door could symbolize many things. And some of you by now might be thinking, I've never thought about a door this much in my life, Alexa. But anyways, you're welcome. (laughs) So ultimately, a door um, allows access or provides an entrance into a space that would otherwise be closed off. So the presence of a door automatically communicates something about the space or spaces that are on either side of it. If a space is not defined or set apart in some way, then there's really no need for a door. If it's wide open and limitless, there's no need to have a defined entryway in. Therefore, Jesus uses this image of a door, or Jesus' use of this image automatically communicates something about the space that this door is connected to. So this passage often gets paralleled um, with Jesus' teaching about the narrow gate, which we find in Matthew's account of the gospel. So Matthew 7, 13 to 14 reads, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So we're going to unpack these verses alongside uh, the rest of Luke's passage in a minute. But to start, I want to focus on this idea of a narrow entryway, which in Matthew's case is a gate. I find the imagery of a gate particularly helpful as we talk about this journey to Jerusalem. Uh, And when you think about this context, many of those who would have been traveling with Jesus, they would have been used to villages and homes, so places where there would be doorways, like we've already talked about. But cities were the places of gates. These gates were large. They were known. They were made obvious so that a foreigner would know where to enter into the city. Jerusalem had a number of momentous gates, and they were heavily used, especially during these festival weeks, when all the Jewish pilgrims would have been coming from near and far to come and enter and be part of the city. But most large cities also had a series of small gates or entrances that were frequented by those who would have called the city home. These gates or passageways weren't intended for the movement of large crowds. They were made for and often made by the locals, and they were used for them as they went about their daily lives. So typically those who would frequent a city or called it their home were the ones who would know and use and appreciate the narrow doors, gates, and passageways that filled the home around them. 
So when Jesus suggests that we strive for the narrow door or seek to enter the narrow gate, what, he's, what is he actually asking that we do? I think this is where Jesus is pressing us to become less fixated on the capacity or the number of those who are getting into the place or into the room, the city, the set of, that which is set apart, or in this case, the kingdom of God. And instead, he wants us to become uh, more intimate or more intimately familiar with the space itself, to know the space like a local would, to know where the small gates are, the narrow passageways, um, yeah, those that actually allow life to take place. So in case I've lost you by now, what we're picking up from Jesus' response to this initial question about how or, or about, sorry, who and how many will be saved, he wants us to be less concerned with Um, our own placement and more concerned with the posture of our pursuit to seek and take up residency in this new kingdom. And I want to briefly touch on the significance of narrowness, since it's perhaps the word that is making perfectionists in the room think challenge accepted, and maybe the evangelists are feeling a little squirmy right now. So I want you to think about the practical realities of a narrow door or gate. Um, Why do we typically not like them? Yes, some of us might find them kind of enchanting and, you know, the the secrecy and, um, yeah, what could be hidden behind it. Um, But I'm sure many of us also have a memory of trying to get a sectional through our friend's basement suite door. um, And that is our experience of a narrow door. And if you don't have that experience, then you're not young and you haven't tried to live in Willoughby. Um, <laughs> but um, anyways, what, the idea that comes along with this is that a narrow doorway doesn't leave a lot of room for stuff to come with it. Um, it's tight. There's not a lot of space for baggage to kind of come along into this space. And yeah, it's just not something that you can easily carry a lot through. And I think Jesus starts to allude at this idea when he says, for many, I tell you, will try to enter, but will not be able to. So to us, a narrow doorway might seem extremely impractical, but Jesus is telling us that there's purpose to it and there's something significant about it. I think right off the bat, we see that a narrow doorway requires us to let go of some things before entering into it. And it might actually communicate what is required on the other side of it, which might just be ourselves um, without kind of, yeah, all the baggage or whatever it is that we want to bring in. So this is where we see Jesus give a bit of a nod to the calls of repentance that surround this passage. As Jesus takes all these new followers on this journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, he's continuously asking them to repent to turn from one thing and move towards another thing. He asked them to lay down their possessions, to lay down the way that they've typically done their lives and to do things differently. Um, It's a call, this whole journey to, like I said, from Galilee to Jerusalem was this call to let go, to take off, to leave behind, um, all these different things. And this kind of, moves us towards this idea that the letting go of these things is actually what allows us to enter into the narrow gate with a bit of feasibility. As Matthew records, Jesus notes that the, notes that the narrow gate is the gate that leads to life. 
And so again, the narrowness is significant to us. So instead of outlining a momentous gate full of, um, with a full-fledged ticketing system for entering into the kingdom of God, Jesus instead speaks to what kind of posture will allow us to find and enter this narrow gate with ease. So what we've picked up on so far is that entering the narrow gate requires some intentionality. It requires a posture of seeking. Um, it's going to require a letting go. And it's also going to require a familiar, a familiar, I knew I couldn't say this word, and familiarity, close enough, goodness, there we go, that comes when we frequent a space. We get the sense that one does not simply stumble or drift into the kingdom of God. Now, the importance of the narrow entry and its connection to frequency and familiarity and intimacy is further confirmed as we move through our text. So it's important to note that up until this point in the passage, that yes, um, this door is narrow, but it has remained open. It has been communicating a sense of welcome um, and that the purpose of it is to provide entry into But now the narrative shifts if we pick up um, our passage in verse 25, and it reads, When once the owner of the house has got up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then in reply he will say to you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I do not know where you come from. Go away from me, all you evildoers. So now at this point in in the narrative, the the door has been shut. And entrance now requires knocking and having a conversation with the owner. Now the fact that Jesus doesn't address the when and the where um, of this door being shut reemphasizes that that's not the most important part of the story. It's simply stating that a day like this will, in fact, come. And he wants those listening to be aware of how things will play out from there. Here we see people trying to plead their case, like someone trying to get into an exclusive restaurant by saying that they know the manager or the owner. But notice the tone of those who are seeking uh, to enter in. They're essentially saying that we socialized with you and you were in our streets. And as I read this, I get the sense that these people, um, yeah, they, their sense of security came from the fact that Jesus moved towards them. It's almost as if they're saying like, hey, you hung around us, aren't we your people then? And I think that's significant there um, because we do see that there is almost like this one-way relationship going on and there's an expectancy from that. So they continue to just state how the owner of the house may know them, but ultimately their shallow points of connection do not, do not suffice to make a case for kinship. The response of the owner of this household says, I do not know where you come from. Now this suggests that the concern of the homeowner is one of distance and perhaps foreignness. So the owner of the house displays this hesitancy based on... Um, the idea that he's unsure of who these people are, and with that, kind of what type of company they will actually bring into his household. 
So now here we see a shift in the understanding of the door. It's now being used um, kind of as a symbol of separation and protection for those who are within the household. And here I want to point out again that in both these cases, um, one will not simply stumble through the doorway into the kingdom of God. A strong degree of a strong degree of intimacy with both the space and the host is required if one desires to enter in. Neither the open nor the closed door resulted in a coincidental entrance for anyone. So this leads us into kind of the final section of this passage, which includes Jesus's final reorientation of the initial question. He notes the experience of those left outside the kingdom of God. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a picture of sorrow and one that might make us quite uncomfortable. But Jesus doesn't shy away from informing us of the potential consequence of not pursuing the narrow doorway that he's called us to. As a final note, Jesus also clarifies the entrance into the kingdom of God will likely not look like what many have perceived it would be. He says, Then people will come from east and west, from north and south, and will eat in the kingdom of God. Indeed, some are last who will be first, and some who are first will be last. He plays off this idea of, I do not know where you come from, the response that the homeowner gave to those who were knocking. But here Jesus makes a shift for his followers in their understanding of foreigner or foreignness. Foreignness was no longer going to be defined by ethnicity or by bloodlines or geography, but by familiarity and by intimacy. Those who fill the kingdom of God will be from all over, but they will be those who have chosen to move in, those who have chosen to come close, who have chosen to take up residency and make their home in this new Jerusalem. It will be full of those who sought to know and enter through the narrow gates rather than those who come from a particular line, um, yeah, within humanity. So as Jesus journeys towards Jerusalem with his followers, um, this holy place of communion with God, he shares about the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem that he is establishing, a different kind of holy city that he wants them to become acquainted with. He shares that this new city is best entered through its narrow gates and that those who wish to experience it will need to have a posture of repentance. These gates will be easy to find and enter for followers who've become familiar with the new city and chosen to make it their home. His heart is that through a life of discipleship to Jesus, nothing would feel more natural than to enter the kingdom of God through its most narrowest gates. And I think this is the important invitation for us to not get caught up in this idea that God has um, yeah, made this super narrow place that we have to try and get through, but that the, the narrowness of the gate uh, is actually a beautiful invitation to shed what is not intended to be there, to let go of what doesn't belong on the other side, uh, to enter into the kingdom of God just as we are. Um, and by God's grace and through his power and his mercy. And that, uh, yeah, again, it just, it creates this ability for us to shed off 
what doesn't actually belong in that space and enter into this new and holy space. Um, and that is, that is a gift. It is not, um, yeah, it, it's not this thing that's meant to, to drag us down or um, all this, this checklist, but it's meant to help us to enter into this new reality uh, that he so desperately wants to give us. And so with that, as we kind of transition into the rest of our evening tonight, uh, as we spend time in worship and we're going to have a time of prayer with one another and communion, um, or just in the sense of, yeah, I want us to ask, yeah, what is it, God, that you could be asking me to leave on the other side of this door so that I can actually enter in through the narrow gate um, and to understand that that, it, that is a gift. And um, yeah, so as we just enter into this time, I think, Sarah, are you going to come up and we'll maybe get the band back up here? Um, but yeah, just to be reminded that the narrowness of the gate is actually what provides freedom. And um, yeah, that it's not something to be scared of um, or to be worried about what side we're on, but that it's something um, of a beautiful invitation into a new reality.